looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by Northeastern by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You drive me wild. <laughs> what up, Crazy Train Radio? You look like hell. And I could look the same. What's the photo for? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Truth, 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 I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. I'm one crazy new Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any of the films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Hi, this is Ray Dittinger, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. 
boy do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this next guest has been on the show before, but before we go ahead and welcome him back, I want to mention we are going to be talking about his new lively memoir, Finished Business, My 50 Years of Headlines, Heroes, and Heartaches. He was the first print journalist inducted into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame and was a columnist for both the Philadelphia Bulletin and the Daily News, as well as being a Pennsylvania Sports Writer of the Year five times. However, his biggest honor was in 1995 when he won the Dick McCann Award for long and distinguished reporting on pro football, and his name was added to the writer's honor roll at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He also does so much more. You can hear him live on the NBC Sports Philadelphia Eagles pre- and post-game live shows during the season, but also during the weekend on 94.1 WIP with his co-host, Glenn Magnet. Let's welcome back Ray Dittinger. Ray, how you doing? Hi, John. How are you? Oh, Ray, you know how it is. I can't complain. Nobody usually listens when you complain, but such is life. Since we last chatted, you come out with this new book in 2021. So what has the response been? Um, it's been really gratifying. People really like it. It's uh, um, We've got, uh, last time I checked, it's got 265 reviews on Amazon and 250 of them have been five stars so um, 93% approval rating so that's uh, that's uh, that's really nice it's really uh, uh, it, it you know when you write a memoir um, yeah, and you're writing about your life you, some there's a part of you that says you know who's really going to care uh, but uh, in this case people you know people have really enjoyed the book and the feedback I've gotten on it has been has been really good, and I, and I think it says more about Philadelphia and a sport as a sports community than it does about you know my life story. I mean, it's you know my life story is really the story of Philadelphia sports in the last fifty years, and the people here that's a subject people here never get tired of talking about or reading about. Beans, I'm from the region as well. I would agree with that statement a hundred percent, and I'm not one to pucker up, but I think you represent. As a reporter, the everyman, that is for sure. And the reason I bring that up is I'm going to go back to when the Birds won the Super Bowl and you were doing the postgame and you ended up having a special moment during the postgame with your son. Right. Where you actually broke down a little bit from excitement. And that's normally not your MO because you usually keep it right down the middle working as a reporter, and even though from time to time you speak as a fan from growing up in this area, and it was nice to see, since that's not normally what we see from you. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, People, I mean, that um, that was a while ago now. It's been a few years, and people still... I still hear about it. People still talk about it. They, uh, you know, I mean, everybody, 
everybody in this area was watching the post game show. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't, I can't begin to count, uh, what that audience was like, but, you know, that was the day that everybody, every Philadelphia fan was waiting for. It was the day the Eagles, you know, they had seen the Phillies win World Series. They had seen the Flyers win the Stanley Cup. They had seen the Sixers win the NBA championship, but, you know, what they had really been waiting for was to, to actually experience the Eagles going to a Super Bowl and winning the Lombardi Trophy. And the day that it happened, you know, people just couldn't get enough. So I, I knew that when we came on for the post-game show, I mean, everybody was watching. And, um, and yeah, my son, who was at the game, uh, was a cameraman for NFL Films. In fact, he, he shot the famous sideline conversation between Doug Peterson and Nick Foles about calling the Philly special. That, that was actually my son's shot. Um, but after the game was over, he came to the location where we were doing the post-game show, and uh, and he walked onto the set, and we uh, had a father-son moment there uh, where we hugged and celebrated the victory. And uh, you're right, yeah, I, I, I broke down because it brought back so many memories of, you know, my being a kid and going to the 1960 championship game with my parents and my grandparents and experiencing that last Eagles World Championship, um, having that opportunity to be in Minneapolis with my son here and celebrate that, brought back all of those memories. And, you know, I didn't quite expect to get as emotional as I did, but, uh, yeah, you're right, I did. Uh, and, um, and people, it, it really touched a lot of people because I think um, – as, as Governor Rendell, who was on the set with us when it happened, uh, said to me when it was over, I was a little, I was a little, frankly, I was a little embarrassed by it to show, have that kind of show of emotion on live television. And the governor said, don't worry about it. He said, that moment you're having with your son, he said, it's happening in living rooms all over the Delaware Valley. I mean, that's thousands of people are doing exactly what you, you, you're doing right now. Uh, and, and he's right. He's absolutely right. And I've heard that so many times. And it was, uh, actually that whole experience, the Eagles winning the Super Bowl and the moment with my son and people's reaction to seeing that, it was really kind of the impetus for writing the book. I think if the Eagles had never won a Super Bowl, if that day had never happened, I don't think the book ever would have been written. But that was such a, a momentous experience, uh, you know, in my career and for all the fans in Philadelphia that it, it sort of became, it sort of became the ending that justified the book. And the other part of that story, which I found interesting, that I had heard was that you had a conversation over the phone with your wife and she had seen an eagle above your garage. Right. And if I remember this correctly, she may have thought this was a sign from your parents. Yeah, I, I hope she did. Um, my wife didn't make the trip out to Minneapolis. I, I was, uh, she was home. Uh, and so the morning, the day before the game, Saturday, I was out in Minneapolis, and I called just to ask how everything was at home and all. And she said, um, I have to tell you something. She said, uh, just an hour ago, she said, uh, I was looking out, and there was uh, an eagle flying over our house. Uh, and, in fact, the eagle actually landed on our garage. And she said, I wasn't quite sure what it was, because we live right on the edge of Fairmount Park. So, you know, we see we see birds flying flying over the house all the time. I mean, everything from Canadian geese to falcons to hawks to, uh, you know, every every imaginable bird. But we, there, we had never seen a true bald eagle before, and we had been living there for 32 years. 
uh, and she said, I wasn't quite sure that's what it was, she said, but it actually landed on the garage, and I got a good look at it, and my goodness, that is, a, that is an absolute eagle. Um, and, you know, in 32 years, never seen one. Why does it show up the day before the Super Bowl? <laughs> I mean that. Uh, I mean that's just that is just so crazy. Um, she said, "I, you know, and look, my wife and I, neither neither of us are into voodoo or mysticism or anything like that." But she said, "I really believe that that's the spirit of your mother and father, uh, and it's a sign about the game tomorrow." And you know, my, my and my mother and father, there were, there were no big bigger Eagles fans than my mother and father. I mean, they were the biggest of the big. I mean, they, you know, they got Eagle season tickets back in the '40s from the time my dad came home from the war, uh, and they never missed a home game. Started at County Mac Stadium, went through the Franklin Field years, right into Vet Stadium. They never missed an Eagles home game. All kinds of weather, good seasons, bad seasons, didn't matter. They were there, so they were Eagles Eagles fans to the core. Uh, and the idea that this eagle just showed up at our house the day before the Eagles played in the Super Bowl, when my wife said, I, I really think that's a sign from your mother and father, I, I fully believed it. I think I fully believed it. And I, at that point, I already really had a very strong feeling the Eagles were going to win the game, even though they were underdogs and even though they were playing the great Patriots and the great Tom Brady. I really thought, I really thought they had something real special going, and I, I was very confident that they were going to win the game. But after my wife told me about the eagle on our garage, I was positive. <laughs> I'm not a bet, I'm not a betting man, but if, if I were, I would have gone out at that point, put a couple dollars down on the eagles, because that, that just kind of confirmed what I was already thinking. Yeah, I'm the same way as you. I'm not in a voodoo, nor am I a religious person, but I, I don't know what that says about the universe, but that's definitely a good sign for sure. Yeah, and the interesting thing, John, is that um, never saw it again. It was that one. It was it was it was that one day we had never seen it before. It never came back. Um, now, I mean, you can scoff all you want and say, "Oh, come on," but I I still to this day believe it meant something. I mean, something like that doesn't just happen. Something like that doesn't just happen like that. Uh, and so, uh, to me, it was just part of the whole story, that whole unlikely season, you know, that whole run-up to them actually winning a Super Bowl. I mean, all of those crazy pieces, you know, all looking at them independently, say this makes no sense, but you put them all together and they make perfect sense. And it turned yeah, exactly. out the Eagles, the, Eagles, the Eagles got their victory and Philadelphia got its parade. And for those that get it, get it. If not, we can't explain it to them. No, but it was one of the, it was one of those kind of, it was one of those you kind of had to be there moments. You know, we've all we've all had those, and this is one of those. Exactly. But I want to go back into the past a little bit, besides talking about the book. Exactly. But I want to go back into the past a little bit, besides talking about the book. And the name I want to bring up, and I'm obviously familiar with him from growing up in the Philadelphia region, but that person is Stan Hockman. He had a huge influence on you. So what does that bring up when I mention his name? Oh, yeah, um, role model for sure. Um, and, and, and really kind of an um, uh, inspiration for me to actually become a sports writer. You know, it was, um, I, I mean, I kind of always thought that I wanted to be a writer. Uh, but it was, um, it was reading Stan in the Philadelphia Daily News when I was young. I mean, when I was... Uh, 
uh, taking when I was commuting, taking the subway, the Broad Street subway up to Temple University every day for four years as a journalism student. You know, I couldn't wait to pick up that Philadelphia Daily News uh, at the Broad and Snyder subway stop and read that all the way up to all the way up to Columbia Avenue when I was getting ready to go to class. Uh, loved the Daily News, loved the sports action, and most of all because of Stan. I thought he was. I thought he was just the perfect columnist. Uh, he was tireless. Uh, he was in the paper every day. It seemed like he never took a day off, uh, and um, and he was and he was just so good. I mean, he was he could write the tough story. He could ask the tough question, uh, but he also had a tremendous capacity to make you laugh. Um, he was. I thought he was just great. I really thought that he was the perfect sports columnist, and you know, it just sort of confirmed, and it just sort of. It just sort of crystallized in my mind that yeah yeah you know what this is what I want to do I, you know I, I want to do this and um, uh, really it really inspired me to see that somebody could do it that well uh, and just day after day after day be that good be that consistent and be that be that spot on uh, I just thought he was great and then you know then I get a chance to go work at the Philadelphia Bulletin uh, in 1970 uh, and. Now I'm in the press box and and we're we're competitors. You know I'm writing for the Philadelphia Bulletin and he's like three seats down covering the same game for the Philadelphia Daily News. <laughs> That's pretty intimidating. Um, but we became very very good friends. And then ultimately in 1980, um, I got hired by the you know the Philadelphia Daily News hired me away from the Bulletin, and I got the opportunity then to work on the same staff with him. Uh, and uh, and it was uh, it was just a uh, a great relationship, but he was. Uh, um, he has his own book out. Uh, the his, after Stan passed away, his wife Gloria uh, put together a, a book, an anthology of what she considered to be his best columns, uh, and it's uh, and it's available too. And uh, I would encourage people if you want to read some really good sports writing um, on just about every subject out there from everything from baseball, boxing, horse racing, all of it. Stan covered all of it. Um, the book is called Stan Hockman Unfiltered. Uh and it's uh it's it's really, really good. I mean some of the some of the stuff that he did, I mean his uh his his story of the Ali Frazier won that first fight up at Madison Square Garden, the the, the story that he wrote after that after that fight um, is is one of the ones in the book, obviously, because I think it was one of one of his best. And it's I don't think sports writing gets any better than that night on the night when there was this mega event. Um, that's kind of what really separates the great writers from everybody else is when you have that that super event um, that you that your writing rises to that occasion. Uh, and Stan's did boy that night. As great as Allie and Frazier were that night, I think Stan was even better. <laughs> well, speaking of the great Ali, I heard you had a great one-on-one -on -one experience in being able to interview him. Yes, uh, at his uh, training camp in uh, uh, in upstate Pennsylvania. It's up near Pottsville. Uh, it was a place called Deer Lake, and that was where he would go to train for his fights. It was sort of way off in the woods and... You know, it was just a couple of log cabins up on a mountaintop. It's very isolated, you know, the perfect place to kind of just get away and concentrate. And that's where he would go before a fight. And, 
uh, I went up there. I was sent up there by the sports editor. I was still at the Bulletin at the time, and the sports editor, um, they had gotten a, no- a message from Ali's person, as his, like his PR publicity guy, saying that he was going to do, um, like on this particular day, he was going to, there was going to be media availability. Well, with Ali, there was media availability every day. If your writer, you just showed up, he would talk to you. <laughs> but anyway, they, they set up this day that, uh, this is sort of an open press day. And the guy who was our boxing writer was an older fellow, and he just didn't feel like making that drive. Uh, so the sports editor asked me to go up there and cover the workout, interview Ali, and bring some, bring the quotes back to the boxing writer. So I was only too happy to do it. Um, and so I drove up there, and it turned out that uh, the press conference turned out to be a one-on-one because the other press people that were supposed to be there never showed up. I, I actually think they got lost, which was very easy to do up, up in that area. Deer Lake was not an easy place to find, uh, and I think I was the I, I, I got there. Nobody else did. I think I think they're still they're still driving through the woods looking for the place. <laughs> uh, but um, but I got there, and uh, so now. What was supposed to be a press conference turns out to be a one-on-one with me and Ali in, in his cabin. Um, and yes, it was uh, it was an amazing uh, it was amazing, memorable. I'd say, gee, I guess it was like ninety minutes that I had him all by myself, uh, and we talked about a lot of stuff. Talked about his life. You know, we covered we covered uh, the, the, the immediate. Like I, I can't even remember who he was training to fight at that time. Uh, but then we just. We covered that in about twenty minutes or thirty minutes, and then we just we just started talking uh, about boxing history and this and that, and um, uh, and the, the, the one moment that I, you know I always remember, and that this is what I wrote about in the book, was um, Ali at one point said to me, um, "Did you did you see my first fight with Frazier?" He said he had only we uh, he had only fought Frazier once at this point, and that of course is the fight that Frazier won. And uh, and I said, yeah, I saw it. I went to the I went to the closed circuit telecast of it, the closed circuit broadcast of it at the at the Spectrum. And uh, he leaned over, leaned across the little table there, and uh, told his nose was about two inches from my nose. And he said, "Who was you rooting for?" And uh, um, I, I I didn't expect that. You know, and I mean, that just took me completely by surprise. I didn't know that he would. <laughs> I didn't expect him to ask me that question. Um, but the truth of the matter was, I was rooting for Frazier. Uh, and uh, but here I am staring Ali right in the eye, and he's asked me this question, <laughs> and and you you know what he wants you to say. You know the answer that he wants to hear. Uh, but I, you know, I, I figured, I, well, look, he asked me an honest question. <laughs> I, I owe him an honest answer. So <laughs> here I am. I looked right back at him and I said I was rooting for Joe Frazier, uh, and uh, and he, you know, he, he he looked more he looked more surprised than angry. Uh, and he said, "Why was you rooting for Joe Frazier?" And I said, "I'm from Philadelphia. I was rooting for the home team." Um, and Ali he stared at me for a long time and uh, and he said, "You know, I respect you for telling me that," which I thought I thought about that answer. All the way the, the whole drive back to Philadelphia. What was what was he really saying there? Um, and I, I still don't really know. The, but but what I'm kind of guessing is that um, 
you know, he, he's, he, and I saw this up there. He was so surrounded by people who, who all they ever did was just pat him on the back and, you know, tell him what he wanted to hear and you're the greatest champ. You're the best champ. Yeah. Anything you say, champ. Uh, and I think he just kind of appreciated that somebody gave him a straight answer. You know, that somebody was, somebody could be honest with him, even if it wasn't the answer he wanted to hear. And I think he just kind of respected the honesty. So that was it. Yeah. I mean, John, I've done, <laughs> I, I, I can't begin to count how many thousands of interviews I've done over the years. Uh, but that's one that, uh, that I'll always remember. Well, I only have a few more minutes with you, but I wanted to bring it up because obviously I brought it up in the introduction about you working with Glenn Macnow on WIP. So at the time, there wasn't many writers making a crossover to a different form of media, but there's a certain chemistry with you and Glenn that happened over the 20 years or so at this point mm -hmm. that makes it really special when you guys do an episode. So how would you describe the relationship with Glenn? And I also want to bring it up because usually on Saturdays, and I know it's on hiatus right now, you guys have a segment called Tell Us Your Story, which I find interesting. Yeah, um, well, thanks. I'm glad you, I'm glad you enjoy it. Um, how I would describe it, I would describe it, first of all, as just friendship. I mean, we've, uh, we really didn't know each other when the station put us together. Um, the station manager, the program director, kind of assumed that since we were both newspaper guys that we knew each other, and we really didn't. Uh, Glenn was working for the Inquirer. I was working for the Daily News. Uh, I mean, I knew who he was. I mean, we had we had exchanged hellos in the press box, but that was really the extent of it. Um, and but they put us together, and we said, okay, we'll give it a try. Uh, and it just clicked. It just clicked. And, and you know, sometimes you know, sometimes those things do, and sometimes they don't. Um, you have no control over it. It just either happens or not. And it it really worked with us. It turned out we had. You know, you know, we had a lot of interests in common. Um, we, uh, uh, you know, we just became friends. Uh, and we really just enjoyed hanging out together. And that's really kind of what the show is. It's really just two guys just hanging out as much as anything. Uh, and uh, it, it, it isn't even like work, John. I mean, it, it's really, it really is fun. I actually look forward to it. I, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm going over to visit my buddy. You know, we're going to hang out for three hours. Uh, and that's and, and that's kind of how it is. And uh, uh, we've been doing it for more than 20 years now. Uh, somebody asked me a few months ago, how long have you guys been doing the show? And I had never really bothered to add it up. Uh, but it's like 21 years now that uh, that we've been doing the show. And it's... Uh, and it, we, it's it's never it, it's never fallen into a rut. I mean, there's always something new happening. There's always something to talk about. And I give Glenn a lot of the credit because he's he's a very creative guy, and he keeps coming up with with new elements to work into the show. Uh, it's never just a show where you just come on, you give the phone numbers, and, and let people call in, and that you know it's just it's just okay. We'll talk about the Sixers. All right, let's now talk about the Phillies. I mean, it's there's always there's always something new and different. And, you know, Glenn introduced this segment called uh, What We're Watching. Uh, and, uh, and, it's, uh, and it's, you know, we, for about five minutes we talk about, he talks about some TV show that he's started to watch. And I talk about the last, latest movie I just saw. Uh, 
and people love it. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times if I'm doing a book signing, you know, people come through the line and say, you know, oh man, I, I love, you know, I love what we're watching. And hey, that, you know, tell Glenn that that, you know, that British cop show that he told me to start to, to that he was talking about. I started watching it and it's great. I love. It. I never would have watched it except, you know, I, you know, he he told me that it was a great show and it is. And so, I mean, that part of it has really. Uh, really took on a life of its own, and you mentioned "Tell Us Your Story," and "Tell Us Your Story" again was his idea, um, and it goes back to when the first COVID came and the pandemic was declared, and all professional sports, all professional and college sports, everything shut down. I mean, the whole sports world shut down, and we still had to do radio, three hours of radio on a sports talk station, and we both kind of looked at each other and said, "What are we going to do? You know, what are we going to talk about?" And uh, and Glenn came up with this idea that why don't we just get interesting people uh, and have them come on and we'll just we'll just do an hour and we'll just do and and it'll just be tell us your story you know talk about your life where you came from how you grew up your parents all that kind of stuff your career highlights disappointments um, and we'll just do that until the sports come back and then we'll go back to doing what we did before and I said great so we started it off and it, it was one hour. We, we we blocked out one hour, and uh, we had everybody from George Foreman to Michael Ruzioni to Dick Vermeil to Al Michaels. You know, all these people came on. Jay Wright, um, Jamie Moyer, um, Jeremy Roenick, Bobby Clark. Uh, and we really, we just started off, okay, where did you grow up? What was your town like? What were your parents? What did your father do? What did your mom do? What was your, all of this stuff. Uh, and people really, really liked it. And it was, it's very different kind of radio. It's real long form interviews. It's not, uh, it's not, you know, the, the quick hot take kind of thing that people hear now. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it's Bobby Clark talking about stuff he's never talked about. What it was like growing up in Flint Flon, Manitoba. You know, what it was like working in the mines with his father before he became a hockey player. I mean, that kind of stuff that, you know, you think you know about Bobby Clark, but until you actually hear him tell those stories, you don't really know Bobby Clark. And week after week, you know, each of these guys came on and told these stories and talked about this stuff. You know, to hear Dawn Staley talk about what it meant to her, you know, a little girl from North Philadelphia carrying the American flag in the, in the parade at the Olympics, um, how that happened and what that meant. This was just really great stuff, and people just couldn't get enough of it. And what happened was when sports did come back, and, you know, the baseball season returned and the football season returned and all of that stuff. Um, people said, well, you are going to keep doing Tell Us Your Story, right? I mean, you are going to keep that series going because people really look forward to it. And so we have. I mean, we hadn't really planned it. We really just, that was just going to kind of be a bridge that would get us to the other side of the pandemic. But there was, people really liked it so much, and frankly, we liked doing it so much that we've kept it going and we've now, we're now up to a hundred interviews. <laughs> we're just we're just up to the the one hundredth episode is coming up. Uh, we'll put it kind of on hiatus for now while the Eagles playoff run is going on. Uh, but as soon as the Eagles season as soon as the Eagles season ends, we're going to go back to tell us your story, uh, and that'll be part of the Saturday show. And the next one that we do, and we've already got it interviewed. It's already in the can. Is Earl the Pearl Monroe, and that will be and that will be number one hundred. That will be the one hundredth interview in the series and uh, no end in sight john i mean as long as as long as people like it and we enjoy doing it we're going to keep it going and you hinted at it there and this will be my final question obviously 
the we are talking the Friday before the first weekend of the playoffs, and the Eagles are going to be playing in Tampa. And you hinted at it there, and this will be my final question. Obviously, we are talking on the Friday before the first week of the playoffs, and the Eagles are going to be playing in Tampa. Is it hard to believe that at this point of the year we are having this conversation about a first-round playoff game because of where they were, say, in September or October? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've had some people say, oh, I thought they'd go to the playoffs. Oh, come on. (laughs) I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I I didn't hear any of that conversation back in September, and I certainly didn't hear it in October when they were 2-5. and Um, you know, to me, where they are right now is is a huge surprise, and a credit to them that they were, you know, in in a year with a with a rookie head coach and a starting quarterback who was little more than a rookie himself, um, that they were able to, to stumble out of the gate the way they did, get to two and five. I mean, to the point where a lot of people were questioning whether Nick Sirianni was even going to make it through the season, and here they are. Uh, you know, going to the playoffs, uh, taking on the defending world champs and Tom Brady. Um, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a huge mountain to climb. I mean, there's no question about that. Uh, but I mean, I certainly didn't think that they'd get this far. And it's, uh, it's been a fun season. I mean, very unexpected in many ways. Uh, but it's been, it's been a fun season. And listen, so many crazy things have happened this year in the NFL. This has been the most unpredictable, upside down, topsy turvy NFL season. I can remember, and I'm sure the postseason will be that way too. I mean, all of a sudden, this isn't this isn't going to turn into chalk, you know. I mean, I mean, there's going to be surprises in the postseason, just like there were surprises in the regular season. And who knows? I mean, maybe the Eagles go down to Tampa and shock the world. It would be fun if they did. Exactly, and we all know how well the Eagles fans travel. That's for sure. The book is finished business. My 50 years of headlines, heroes, and heartaches. Ray Dittinger, thank you so much. It was my pleasure, Jonathan. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. truly exciting and so glad that they are starting to make a positive impact. Little Bean Soapery is a woman-owned small business based in Northeast Pennsylvania. Little Bean Soapery does so much as all products are handcrafted and offer many different things for both men and women. Soaps, scrubs, body butters, bath bombs, solid cologne and much more. Little Bean Soapery also does things for special occasions such as birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day and special seasonal gift sets. But also, let's not forget large orders for party favors by request. The great things about all products is that they are crafted to be nourishing on the skin. 
If you wish to check them out, please feel free to visit littlebeansopery.com. Any questions, please feel free to also email littlebeansopery at gmail.com for custom inquiries and or ask anything else you wish. Tell them that Elena from Crazy Train Radio sends you. This is Jason Navat, and you listen to the Crazy Train Radio.